We are in the letter of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 10. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, it's way towards the back, just a few books from the very end. You can always use the table of contents in the beginning. But we are in the letter of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 10. So we have been preaching, I've been preaching through 1 Corinthians, and that book is very hard. Uh, it's uh, aimed at a really messy church, and Paul uh, doesn't pull any punches. And so I thought, after preaching through four chapters of that, we just needed a break, and I just wanted to focus on the gospel. What is the gospel? Last week was the greatness of God in the gospel, or the godness of God, and that He is sovereign, He's done it all. And then today, focus on the goodness of God and loving us in forgiveness in the gospel. So I believe we need, as I said in the time of confession, to consider two things in order to learn what it means that God loves you. That's what I want you to walk away from here, Thea, right? I want you to know that God loves you. Now that phrase, God's love you, is thrown around like candy at a parade. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Everybody knows God loves you. If there's anything our culture knows, it's that God loves you. And that is true uh, for believers. Uh, but we have so sentimentalized it, so cheapened it, that it becomes very difficult to know and to believe and to feel what that actually means. So what we need to do is recover the biblical truth of God's greatness, last week's sermons, and the biblical truth of the sinfulness of sin, more on that later. If you have faith to believe, it takes faith to believe that God is God. It takes, to believe, it takes faith to believe that you and I are vile sinners, and that's an understatement, deserving of nothing good but only wrath. Then and only then can we learn and grow in the most awesome truth that God loves us. God loves you. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then in one sense it is true that God loves you. He created you. He's giving you breath. He's providing for you. But it is not true in another sense. He has not forgiven you. He has not accepted you into eternal life. He has not redeemed you. You must repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the fatherly love of God to be yours. And I would want nothing more than that. And so as you hear this sermon on God's love in the gospel, I pray that if you are not yet a believer in it, that you would turn to Christ here this morning. Let me pray, then I'll read, and then we'll explain a few things. God, give us life according to your word. Answer us. Teach us your statutes. God, may our hearts now meditate on the wondrous words which you have given us. Strengthen us according to your words. Put false ways far from us. Graciously teach us your law, O God. May we cling to your testimonies that we may not put to shame. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So our text was written by uh, the Apostle John. He was called the Beloved Apostle. He seemed to have the closest communion and relationship with Jesus Christ and is on earth. So he seems to be particularly situated to write on God's love. In our text, 1 John 4.10, we read, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John begins with, In this is love. 
What he's doing here is he is saying, he's answering the question, okay, what is God's love? And so he's defining love. In this is love. What is, John is teaching us what God's love is for us. And so this verse is precious. It's wondrous. It's a Disneyland of the glory of God's love. So what we learn first here is that God's love, in this is love, is that it's not first about us. We, we didn't first come to God and say, oh, we love you, and then he responded to us with love. God's love is not a response to anything in us or about us. Right? We should love God. We should be grateful to God. We should worship God, but we refuse. We don't. We do not love God. We don't initiate a thing. Instead... In this is love is that God first loved us. He took the initiative last week's sermon. He, he chose. He created. He sent His Son. He put His Son on the cross. He put all of our sins on His Son. He crushed His Son in our place for our iniquities. He raised His Son from the dead. He has sent His Spirit to make you alive together with Christ. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that God first loved us. He is God. He is far above and beyond us. We have nothing to give Him. We have nothing in us that would incline Him to do anything for us. And yet, in all of this eternal greatness, in all of His holiness, in all of our response of only sin to His goodness, He has loved us first. And then John defines what that means. What, what is this love that he first loved us with? Well, it's two things. He sent his son, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. How? He sent his son, and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So, His Son is the Lord Jesus Christ, second member of the Trinity, the eternal God of God. The Son is eternally proceeding from the Father. The Father is eternally begetting His Son. The Son and the Father have enjoyed an eternal relationship of glory and joy. There is nothing so great in the Father's eyes as His own beloved Son. And God so loved the world that He sent Him to die. The father sent him down here. The son was born of a virgin, went through a birth canal. He had to nurse at his mother's breast. Right? He grew like any normal human boy. The son of God became that for us. That's love. His son was often met, though he did great good in this world, with rejection and Abuse and scorn. He was abandoned by those closest to him. He was betrayed. He went through a sham trial. He was beaten and humiliated. He was paraded naked through the city. He was hung on a cross outside the city where all of our sin was placed on him. The wrath of God poured out on him and he bled and he died. That's propitiation. Propitiation has to do with removal of God's just anger for sin. 
God's anger, his just righteous anger at our sin was propitiated. It was quelled. It was taken by the Son on the cross in his death. And so all of God's wrath, all of God's retribution at our offense was satisfied in his Son. That's love. In that is love. That is what it means that God loves you. He sent His only begotten Son. And He sent His only eternally begotten Son, the second member of the Trinity, to become, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, to know this love, you have to, have to, have to See God as God. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. God. You will not rejoice, know God's love without first taking a moment to consider God. Last week we spoke on the godness of God, the greatness of God, the sovereign power and will of God, the God who is infinitely above you and I, the God who speaks worlds into being, the God who needs nothing from no one, the God who asks nothing of anyone, the God who is holy, the God who has never, ever had his plans foiled or redirected, the God whose enemies are always squished before him. He is God. He made you. He created you in His image for His glory. He made this world to review Him. All players in heaven and earth and under the earth are made for one purpose. Him, His glory, His fame, to declare His greatness. He is God. That's right. And He, though He is infinitely above and beyond you, stooped in sending His Son for you. Now, who are you in this verse? Who are you in this verse? <laughs> you should have loved God, but don't. Your sin, that word propitiation for our sins, tells you a lot about you. How bad is your sin? The way to measure how sinful your sin is is by looking at the cost that Christ paid for it. The word propitiation goes back to Old Testament where an animal was slaughtered to, on behalf of a sinner to propitiate God's anger. And, and you had just heard, described what Christ suffered and endured in your place for your sin. And for whatever reason, you and I refuse to believe how awful our sin is. I think it's because we want to not have to have grace. We don't want to be at God's behest. We don't want to have to receive anything freely. And so we minimize the awful wickedness of our sin so that grace isn't really grace. God doesn't have to really give you anything freely. You're just not that bad, and God isn't that great, and it all kind of just works out in the end. But your sin is awful. 
Your sin required the eternal Son of God to hang shamefully on a cross, bleeding, dying in your place. Nothing else could suffice to propitiate God's just wrath at your sin. Nothing else. That's how bad your sin is. So another way to say it is you and I, in Adam and in our sin, are vile. We are in of ourselves offensive to God. He had nothing but wrath towards us in our natural fallen state. Do you understand that? Have you read at all in the Bible of God's right anger? Have you read of Noah and the flood? Of how much God hates sin and what he does to those who will not repent? Have you gone to the end of the Bible and seen God's righteous, eternal wrath at those who refuse to repent and trust in Christ? That, that's you, naturally. That's you and I, at birth. That's you. And if you can, just by faith, take the simple truth that God is God, you are deserving of eternal wrath because of your sin, then you can see the love of God in sending His Son to take your sin upon Himself and take God's wrath upon Himself so that you can be eternally accepted by Him and not rejected. In this is love. Not that you are lovely. Not that you and of yourself are acceptable. Not that you are a treasure that God went through heaven and hell to get to. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died. In this is love. We find it so hard to get it. And one of the reasons I said we find it so hard to get it is because we've so cheapened it. We've so sentimentalized it. We hang it on pictures with mountains and kittens. We sing songs more of Jesus as our boyfriend than of God's hard, bleeding, sun-crucifying love. We reject any talk of sin in the church. We refuse in ourselves to believe that we are as bad as the Bible describes, and so we do not get the love of God. You find it hard to believe that God loves you because you find it hard to believe that you are as bad as you are. Again, if you go to the example I gave you in the time of confession, the reason why this fornicating woman embraced the love of God is because she embraced how bad she was. The other reason that it is difficult to comprehend the love of God is just simply because God's love is so incomprehensible. Turn to Ephesians 3, if you would. I'm going to use this as the benediction. 
In verses 14 to 21 is a prayer from Paul. And the prayer at his heart is a prayer that we might be able to comprehend the love of God. Paul is praying before the Father who gives fatherhood its name in verses 14 and 15. In verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, look at how great this language is. God, according to the riches of your glory, grant your people to be strengthened with your power through your Spirit in their inner being so that Christ might dwell in their hearts and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, listen to this, may have strength to comprehend. To comprehend what? The love of God in Christ. We are so weak. We, we cannot in of ourselves comprehend in this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. We can't comprehend it. We don't have the strength. We don't have the will. God must even love us so to give us His Spirit internally to strengthen us to comprehend the incomprehensible love of God the Father in Christ that we might be filled with all of His fullness. And God does it. God does it. Often in pastoral counseling, what I get a front row seat to is how messed up people's lives are because of sin. And often as we begin to discuss things, their mess of their lives is a result of the sins of others committed against them. Fathers who have sinned against them. Husbands who are sinning against them. Pastors who have sinned against them. Friends, children, moms. They have all kinds of inability to function in this world in a way that is healthy and glorifying to God because there's so much pain and loss and grief because of hunger for love. That's what it always boils down to. They need to be loved. They want to be loved. They have met time and again abuse and rejection and lying and cheating and all kinds of stuff. And they just want to be loved. And because of sin, they are constantly turning to things that can never actually love them. This is what the root of idolatry. They want God's love. They want fatherly love and they constantly settle for that which isn't love is only a lie they're disappointed and confused and don't know where to go next you want to be loved you want your father to love you you want your pastor to love you you want your husband to love you you want your mom to love you you want the authorities to love you you want to be loved and all you meet time and again on this earth is people who sin against you And it messes you up. And you then are taught by our world that you're a victim. You excuse your sin of turning to things that are not God's love as if they are God's love. And you blame circumstances. You blame daddy. You won't forgive. You you and I throw pity parties. And we never get to the point of receiving God's love because we're stuck in bitterness. 
We're stuck in victimness. We're we're stuck in it's not my faultness. And here's one thing to realize. Every person you'll ever meet is going to sin and likely against you. And that too is a good gift of God. John Calvin wrote that it is a good thing that God didn't give us husbands and fathers and pastors who are angels. And one of the reasons this is good is because then you'd begin to trust them. You'd begin to put into them the weight of trust and care that only belongs to God. The sin of others can serve you to the point of you only have one to depend on. It's God your Father. All of the sin of people is telling you one thing. Turn to God the Father. In this is love. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for your sins. He is who you need. You need the love of God. The true, costly, sacrificial Son on a cross, shedding blood kind of love from your Father in heaven. This world is the kind of world that God wanted because this kind of world is the only kind where you and I will experience this kind of love. All of the disappointment that you've experienced at the sin of others is a good gift of God to leave you with needing nothing, wanting nothing but this pure, costly love of God. That's what He's doing for you. Don't blame Don't play the victim. Turn to God. Turn to God in your sin, realizing that His Son had to be sacrificed in your place and that He did it. He wasn't just willing to do it. He didn't, like so many others, just promise to do it and not follow through. He did it. He did not withhold His only Son, but graciously gave Him up for us all. Why? In this is love. It was costly. You know how costly forgiveness is, don't you? When you are sinned against, All of the cost has to be paid by you in forgiveness. And you know how hard that is. You know how hard it is. I've seen it especially with wives towards their husbands when their husbands have grievously sinned. For her to forgive him is such a steep price. So hard. And your And the sin of others committed against you is nothing in comparison to your sin against God. And the cost, it cost him in of his son. It wasn't cheap. But he was willing in love to pay it. It was hard love. It was costly love. It was bloody love. It was father love. It isn't cheap. It isn't easy. It was costly it required death, sacrifice, laying down, bleeding, and God so loved that He sent His Son to do it. So your need, your hunger, your desire in this world isn't for a perfect daddy. 
It isn't for a sinless husband or wife. It isn't for a boss who gets it. It isn't for a perfect pastor or elders. It is to learn the love of God. To see the great goodness of God's costly love in forgiving you through the blood of His Son. That's what your need is. That's what your hunger is. That's what your desire is ultimately for when everything else is swept away. And when John is writing this, he is writing this so that you might know, that you might know this love of God. It is true, it is real. And it is ours in Christ. And so here's the truth, brothers and sisters. In this is love. Not that you loved God, but that God loved you. God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our, for your sins. That's love. That's God's love for us. Let's pray. Father, would you give us grace by your Spirit to be able to believe, to comprehend, to learn this great love of which you loved us. And so, God, would you give your beloved saints here strength internally by your Spirit to comprehend it. Give us that grace now. In Jesus' name, amen. In this morning's text, uh, John follows, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins like this. This is the charge. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so that's the charge. Husbands, love your wives, sacrifice Wives, love your husbands and respecting them. Right? Fathers, mothers, love your children. But all especially, if someone has sinned against you, love them and forgive them. Now may God, our Father, grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, that God may be give you the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may leave here being filled up to all the fullness of God. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord.